Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Good morning, everyone. Super happy to be here. Two nights ago, I had a dream. In this dream, Pastor Tommy was there. He was livid. Like, really, it was more of a nightmare, honestly. It was more of a nightmare situation. He was really angry, and I was on the verge of being fired. So we'll see how this goes, okay? If you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible under the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that as our gift to you. We would love for you to have that so you, you can begin reading God's Word. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so we'll be in chapter 20. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you this question. What are you afraid of? Spiders. Right. What are you afraid of? And I want you to think about that. Now, spiders, which are a legitimate thing to be afraid of, it's kind of funny. But for all of us, we have real fears. And our fears are very intimate to us and often very personal. We don't share those a lot. Some things are, are really serious, right? We think about our health, we think about death, think about disease, think about loss of life, our kids, our family members. There's lots of things that we legitimately should be afraid of. There's lots of things that we shouldn't be that afraid of. I've got an example for you, okay? So we're going to talk about some phobias real quick. Before we jump into the text, I hope I'm going to pronounce this correctly. Megarichophobia. Does anyone know what this is? It's the fear of cooking. Okay. Yeah, I see the wives out there nudging their husbands a little bit. Might have to get that person checked out by the doctor, right? The fear of, of cooking. It's legitimate. I, I guess people, they, they get really scared and they just don't want to cook. Right? My wife has the fear of me cooking or me being in the kitchen. I don't know what that's called, but that's what the fear is. Right? I go in there and get some water. She's like, what are you doing? I'm just getting some water. I can handle this, right? This is for you students out there, college students, maybe you're working on your master's, PhD. Bibliophobia. Fear of books, right? Now, if I would have been smarter as a kid, I've gone to my doctor and got a doctor's note and been like, can't do it. Not doing the homework, not reading tonight. Don't want to read that, Mom. Instead, I, you know, I came up with a, a bad excuse, bibliophobia. Okay, so those two are kind of funny, but now we're, we're starting to get down to a real personal level here for everyone in this room. Nomophobia. Very good. This is the fear of being without your cell phone, right? Now, how many of us can relate in the room? You leave the house, you're, you're driving down the road. Now, I know none of you do this, but as you pull out your phone to text and drive or call someone or, or check Instagram or Facebook or whatever while you're going down the road, you're like, oh, no, my phone's not on me. You're like whipping U-turns in traffic, fast and furious style out here to go back home 
because we have to have our phones on us, right? See parents at the park, their kids will be like off in the woods somewhere. See a parent walking around, they're looking all scared and terrified like, is your child missing? Like, no, I can't find my phone. I don't care about where the kids are. It's the fear of being without your phone, okay? And this very last one, I do not struggle with this, okay? So let's just go ahead, wherever Heather's at, let's just get this out of the way. I don't struggle with this one, okay? Not afraid. But some of you out there might be afraid of this, okay? It's called pentherophobia. This is a crippling fear of your mother-in-law, <laughs> right? Again, don't struggle with this. Michelle, if you're watching, don't struggle with that, okay? But it's, it's a crippling fear of your mother-in-law. So I, I see your wheels turning out there. Some of you guys, you're like, oh, I'm getting a doctor's note for that one, right? <laughs> Got to go to mom's house for Christmas. No, I don't, <laughs> right? Doctor said I could stay home, Okay. So we think about there, there are some fears that, that while people may really struggle with some of those things, we can laugh about those, but all of us in our life, we're afraid. And when fear is rightly ordered to a proper end, it's a good thing, right? You get in the water and there's sharks swimming around, fear is going to tell you, hey, get out of the water, right? You're on the edge of a cliff, you keep walking toward, you're looking down off the side, fear is going to say, hey, let's slow down just a little bit. Those are good things to be afraid of. But oftentimes, our fear in our lives overcomes our faith. And we're going to look at a story this morning from Genesis chapter 20 of a time where Abraham allowed fear of his circumstances in his life to overcome his faith. Now, I just want to be very transparent here. This is not like a TED Talk to give you three practical pieces of advice to handle fear really well. What I hope to do rather this morning is to make much of God, make much of Christ. And as we ponder on who God is and what he has done for us, that we'll see that we have a reason to have faith even when fear seems to overcome us. So if you would stand as we honor the reading of God's word. If you'll join me in Genesis chapter 20, we'll, we're going to look at the entire chapter. We'll just read through verse 13 for here. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought 
There is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God calls me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Pray with me. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the gospel. I pray this morning as we, as we look at this text, as we seek to rightly understand you through your word, what you've done in salvation history, pray that that would lead us to respond rightly before you. God, I pray that we would think well. I pray that we would be challenged. I pray that we would be encouraged. Um, I pray for anybody here this morning who isn't a follower of Jesus, God, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that you would hide me behind your cross. Every word that I say would be faithful to who you are. We love you. We praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So, as, as we're entering in Genesis 20, we read that story. And if you've been with us, we've been on this journey of faith. We're looking at the life of Abraham. As we hear Genesis 20, does that not sound really familiar to a story we just looked at a couple weeks ago? Yeah, thanks a lot, Tommy, for giving me this chapter, right? So the question we want to ask is, why is this happening? Because as we look back at Genesis chapter 12, we see that God calls Abraham out of a pagan nation, right? And he makes a lot of promises to him, a lot of really big, weighty promises. I'll make, you, I'll make your name great. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Awesome. And the first time trouble strikes, a famine hits the land. And so Abram takes Sarai down to Egypt. And once they're there, Pharaoh wants Sarai. He says, tell them you're my sister so things will go well with us and they won't kill me. God sends a plague on Pharaoh in Egypt. He calls Abraham and he said, why did you lie to me? He said, because I thought you were going to kill me. He said, take your wife, get your stuff, and get out of here. And we track along in, Abraham, in Abram, Abraham's life, right? And we can kind of understand in that first instance, man, he just got the promises. All this is brand new. I could totally see why he would be afraid in that instance. But as we track along, Genesis 13 and 14, Abraham and Lot separate. Abraham has to go rescue Lot. Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham, comes to him. He says, all the things that I promised you, they are going to come true. We're going to cut this covenant. And just as these animals are cut apart and killed, let me be cut apart and killed if I don't keep them for you. It's a huge moment. In the next chapter 16, we see that, okay, we know that Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteous. But as soon as struggle came up, as soon as there was fear about the promise of this son, Sarah says, hey, take Hagar. So he does that, and he has Ishmael. God says, this is not the way I, I wanted this to go. There's going to come a son through you and your family and your offspring. Genesis 17, he, he reaffirms the covenant. He reaffirms the promises that he's been making to Abraham this whole time through the, the sign of circumcision. We get this really neat story in Genesis 18 where God actually shows up on Abraham's doorsteps. Says, hey, this time next year, you'll have a son. In this really cool instance where Sodom and Gomorrah are about to be destroyed. 
Abraham looks and he's questioning God. He says, if there are yet but ten righteous people in the city, would you still destroy it? He says, no, for those ten, I would save them. Right? We see Abraham interceding for the nations. It seems like he's starting to have some idea, some understanding that he's meant to be a blessing to those around him. He's meant to be a blessing to the nations. And then we get this story. Here we are again. Same situation. So let's jump in and see if we can figure this text out together. Pick up in verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. If you're familiar at all with the map, you can picture where Israel is at. This is Gerar somewhat along the Mediterranean Sea, in between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. He's wandering down. He settles in this place. And immediately they go right back to the same plan. He said of Sarah, she's my sister. So King Abimelech, which is probably just a title for the royalty, means son of a king, he comes in and he has a royal harem where all the most beautiful women, if he hears hears rumor of them, he'll take them into the harem. And so that's exactly what he does, right? Sarah, Sarah was probably there for an extended period of time. They'll go through a beautification process. They'll go through dieting things like that to be acceptable for the king so it was she was likely there for a good while before this happens um and immediately verse three we see god show up he says you're a dead man right that woman that you have she's the wife of a prophet not just a prophet but a prophet that i've made all these incredible promises to said you're going to die and abimelech we see him respond. He said, I didn't know that. Right? I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it if I'd have known that information. He said, my people are innocent. And God says, yeah, you're right. I actually agree with you in this. He said, but I have intervened in this situation to make sure that you don't touch her, that you didn't touch her. Right? So what you need to do now is give, give the woman back. And that guy, the prophet, who put you in this really bad situation, he's going to come and pray for you so that everything will be made better. Weird situation that Abimelech's in. The first thing I want us to see this morning is that fear will challenge your faith. Fear will challenge your faith. It's going to happen. So Abraham, in this instance, he has a decision to make. The text tells us later on why he made this decision, and I think we inherently know from reading, Abraham is afraid he's going to die. He's in the land of someone else, and he does not want to die. So he makes a bad decision. He sins. And then not only does he sin, he puts Sarah in a bad situation. She's in the royal harem. But then he puts this nation, the very ones that he's supposed to be a blessing to, he puts them in a bad situation. There will come times in your life when fear challenges your faith. And so I want to ask you this question this morning. What is it that you're tempted to fear? All of us have propensities towards something. Imagine there's some commonalities in the room about things we fear, but all of us have fears in our life that are deep-rooted. So what are some of those things? Right? Right? Maybe you fear losing someone close to you. 
It's a normal thing to fear. Maybe you fear sickness. Maybe you're sick right now, whether it be cancer or something else that's going on, and you're afraid. Maybe you fear others, right? You fear your boss, you fear your coworkers, right? Speaking the gospel at work is difficult to do. Don't want to get in trouble. Maybe you fear the promises of God in your life. It's really hard in the season of life that you're in to trust that God's good. Maybe you fear the world around us. And let's just be honest with each other for a second here. We're living in kind of a crazy time, yeah? A little bit of stuff going on. There's a lot of things for us to be afraid of. Whether it be things that are going on in other countries, whether it be things that are going on in our country. And this cuts both ways. So I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. You can lean conservative, you can lean liberal, Republican, Democrat, independent. We see it all over the place that people are afraid. People are afraid that the way of life is going to change. People are afraid of vaccines or no vaccines or masks or no masks or mandates or no mandates. What's going on in China? People are afraid. And I know this because from the overflow of our hearts, our mouth speaks. From the overflow of our hearts, our mouth speaks. So the things that we speak about most frequently, a lot of those come up as fears in our life. So the question then is, what are we tempted to fear? Because a lot of those fears are wrongly ordered. We're not thinking rightly about it. They're ordered toward the wrong end. So what should you fear? It's the Sunday school answer, right? It's Jesus, right? But we should fear God. You think about Abraham. He was focused on all the wrong details, all the wrong circumstances. He was worried about a king. He was worried about a people. He was worried about his own life. He was looking at all the wrong things, and the thing that he should have been fearing that he was not was God. The one who got him here in the first place, the one who's seen him through, the one who has stuck to his promises thus far, that's the one he should be afraid of. And so for us, we should fear God. Now, I know that language can seem kind of strange because we use fear in such a negative connotation so often. So what does it mean to fear God? Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, right? So there are good things to fear. It's okay to have a healthy awe and reverence and respect and fear of God. The one who created the universe, who put things into motion, who's holding the cosmos together, right? Who in his providential grace is seeing the plan of salvation along every step of the way. Who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving. He could end our life like that. We should have a healthy fear of that God. Think about Isaiah, chapter 6. He's sitting at the throne room of heaven. He's having a vision. He's there, and he knows he's in trouble. He's afraid. 
chapter 6, verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He knows he should have been dead. Because he's in the presence of a holy God. He's an unholy person. How is this going to happen? Psalm 34, 4, David's writing. says, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. He continues in verses 8 and 9. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, all you saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Adam, Eve, they're in the garden. They're afraid. And what do they do? They run from God. And all throughout the scriptures, we see that when people are caught up in their sin, what they're trying to do is run from God. When in reality, according to the scriptures, when we have a healthy fear, we lean into God. We seek him. And when we do that, we see that, man, he is really, really good. We approach him through his word, through prayer, through discipleship, through small groups, through the preaching and teaching of the word. And we're going to taste and see that God is really, really good. And we're going to get a bigger picture of who this God is we serve because we love to try to put him in a box. We're going to see that he's good. Then what does that mean for us, Okay. So I've got, this, I've got this healthy fear of the Lord. I'm seeking after him. So then what? Amazingly, Isaiah 41, 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So if we come properly to the one that we should be afraid of, this is what God says, fear me and then fear not. Fear me then fear not. Because if we're, if we're rightly thinking about who God is and the work that he's done in our lives, we have nothing else to be afraid of. Abraham had nothing to be afraid of. But because he's a sinner, and because we're in the same boat, this happens to us so often. We're afraid. We're afraid. When, when we need to fear God, God. Let's look at verse 8. Join me there. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all of his servants, and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. See, they had the proper response to this guy that they didn't even know, who's done nothing in their lives yet. They have this proper response. Verse 9 Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister and the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. Every place to which we've come, say of me, he is my brother. So Abraham, we see him confront Abimelech. I mean, Abimelech confront Abraham. He says, hey, bro, uh, God said, like, you're a prophet and stuff. What are you doing? Right? We're innocent. We didn't do anything to you. You brought sin on us. 
and Abraham, eh, I was afraid. I thought y'all didn't fear God. Ironic, right? I thought y'all didn't fear God. Anyway, she's, she's my sister. She's I'm half-sister, partial truth. It's a lie, right? Really terrible response and excuse from Abraham in this situation. What is going on in this text that we get to this point where Abraham is so far along in his journey of faith and he's just making excuses because he's afraid? Second thing I want you to see this morning is that fear isn't always consistent with reality. Okay, fear isn't always consistent with reality. Here's the deal. Abraham didn't see himself rightly in this situation. We're only at chapter 20 of this very long book of the story of salvation, and a lot has happened in Abraham's life. We track through that a little bit. Out of all the people God could have chosen, all the pagan nations, he chose this one guy. And he's the only one that God's communicating with as far as we know. He's revealing his promises to. He's making covenants with him. He's showing up to his doorstep to eat with him. Abraham forgot who he was. And so often for us, particularly if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in this room, if you're not, we'll kind of get there in a second. But if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, it is really easy for us to forget who we are. We can get so caught up in our sin and our shame. We wake up day after day after day and we miss the mark. We think, man, God cannot love me. God's not going to accept me. How can he forgive me after I've been sinning like this? The reality is, is that if you are in Jesus Christ in this room, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son standing in your place. You are a son or daughter of a king. Yes, we still sin. Yes, we still mess up. That is going to happen. It does not take away the fact that you are his. Man, we forget that. So easy for us to forget that. So I want you to see yourself rightly. Also, I want you to see your neighbor rightly. Abraham goes to a place that's not his home. He comes in, he got the entire situation wrong. He misread it from day one. He didn't see his neighbor rightly. He thought this guy was going to kill him. In fact, that wasn't going to happen. Ultimately, because God was protecting him, but Abraham got this wrong. And I'm forced to wonder and question for us in this room. Do we see our neighbor rightly? Like I said, man, there's a lot of division right now. Certainly since I've been alive, this seems to be the most divisive time in our country, in our world. And do we see our neighbor rightly? Do we see people as a political ideology, as a religious, a religious ideology? Or do we see people for what they are, people in need of a savior? 
Jesus gives us this information in Luke chapter 10. Because the question is, well, who's my neighbor? Everyone's your neighbor. So it doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter where you live. Again, I'm not particularly concerned at this moment with your politics and whatever else is going on. As followers of Jesus, if we are of the party of Christ, man, we're called to love those around us. Because for the Christian, there's really only two groups of people in this world. Brothers and sisters in Christ and those who need to be. But in order to do that, we have to see our neighbor rightly. They're not a political ideology. They're not a religion. They're not a race. All that stuff that we get so hung up on, they're a person who needs Christ first and foremost. Worry about, worry about whatever else later. We have to see our neighbor rightly as someone who is in need of the gospel. The third thing I want us to see here is that Abraham didn't see God rightly. Certainly he had an issue of himself and his neighbor, but what that is rooted in is that he's not seeing God rightly. The one who is all-powerful and all-knowing and has this grace and mercy, can do all of these incredible things, has the power to save. He's working this out in salvation history. Abraham just doesn't see God rightly. Because if he did, he would have no fear walking into the city. He would have no fear along the way. And how easy is it for us to not see God rightly? We, make, we try to make God so small. But he is the one from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to new creation, who has worked out this plan of salvation in such a way to be in relationship with us. Man, he could end us in an instant. We have to see him rightly. If we're going to live, right, with faith in the face of fear, we first have to get it right about who God is. Pick up with me in verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. Before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So we've already seen that fear will challenge your faith. We've also seen that fear isn't always consistent with reality. And I want us to see here in this last section of verses, as we're thinking about the story as a whole, is that faith can overcome your fear. Now notice I said can. I didn't say that faith will overcome it because there's work that we have to do on this, but it can. If we're rightly thinking about this relationship of faith and fear, then it cert faith certainly can overcome 
fear. So we look at the story. This is not how we would expect this story to end. Abraham is in the wrong again. He's getting blessed by another king again. Right? He gives him his, his choice of the land. He gives him a thousand pieces of silver, which was way over the price of what he should have received. You, you notice Abimelech threw the little jab in there to Sarah. He said, here's the stuff for your brother. Right? Whatever weird thing y'all got going on. But Abraham prays. He prays for Abimelech. And we see that the wounds of all the women are reopened. Right? God had intervened and closed their wounds. Um, and is it not coincidental that Sarah, who her entire life has been struggling to have a child, her wounds been closed, right? That because of her sin, because of Abraham's sin, these people, right, are experiencing the same thing. And how fast does God fix it? Just like that. So for Abraham and Sarah, they should really, really be sitting there thankful for God's grace and mercy. So you put, their, put yourself in their spot. They knew they didn't deserve it. They knew they did wrong. Abraham knew he messed up, and God is still using him to intercede for a foreign nation so that they'd be healed. It's pretty incredible. So what went wrong here, right? What If faith can overcome your fear, what was going on with Abraham in this instance, is this, this advanced stage of his life, that he got caught in this situation? First thing I, I want you to take home for this is that we need to believe the gospel. My assumption here is that most people in this room are followers of Jesus Christ. You believe the gospel. You could probably articulate the gospel to me. You could walk me through some of the story. Right? You believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You've placed your faith in him. You're serving the church. You're in Life Connection Group. You're studying with the community of faith. You're serving on his mission. You believe so did Abraham. Genesis chapter 15. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Belief wasn't the issue. Now for some people in this room, belief might really be the issue. But for many of us, especially if we're following Jesus, belief is not our, our issue. We believe. So belief is not enough. We also have to remember the gospel. We have to remember the gospel. See, Abraham forgot. He got caught up in a circumstance, caught up in a situation where he didn't remember the promises of God, didn't remember that God could get that done. And how often do we do this in our lives? Yeah, we believe, man, we're following Jesus. We wake up and we struggle with a fear or a temptation or whatever it may be, and we fall into sin. This is why it is so vitally important for us to be in God's word, to be in prayer, right? Because, hey, I don't know if you're like me out there, but I'm kind of a dummy. I forget. Every day I wake up, I need to be reminded of what Christ has done for me. Every day I need to be reminded of the gospel. As a community of faith, we need to be reminding one another of the gospel, because we are so prone to forget, and if we don't remember, we're going to fall into sin. I want to show you this picture. 
Oh, man, she cute. She cute. So that's my little girl, Kaylee. She'll be three in September. We have a little boy as well. This was a couple weeks ago on vacation. Um, she's eating a s'more right there. Love her to death. She's awesome. She's at a really fun age. She's talking. All these things are going on. Super fun. Um, so before we had Kaylee, Heather and I were living in Clemson, South Carolina. Heather was finishing up her degree at Clemson. She was also working a part-time job. I was doing a residency program at a church. We weren't making a lot of money. We were broke. But hey, we were married, so it was all good. We were happy, you know, whatever. Let the hard times roll. We're married. And we did. We had a lot, we had a lot of fun in our first year of marriage. Um, but, you know, we were paying. We had a good deal on an apartment, but the apartment was kind of dingy. You know, it was just kind of beat up. It was a, it was a two-story apartment. Um, and in the bathroom, there was, you know, a shower tub combo type deal. So we moved in. And Heather was like, I want to take a bath in our, in our tub. Tub was kind of gross, but you go for it. You do whatever you want to do, right? So Heather, she starts running the bath water, and below the bathroom was where the kitchen was, and there was a hole in the ceiling. It was already there when we moved in. There was a hole, and there was a wooden board inside of that hole kind of covering that up. Um, I was like, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on there, right? So you hear about, you hear about Clemson and the Greenville area. There's lots of mountains and rivers and, and waterfalls. It's real pretty. But I just didn't think that was going to be happening in my, in my kitchen right there, right? Turn around the corner, the water's flowing, baby. We got it going on, okay? Slip and slide going on in the kitchen. Invite the kids over. We're having a good time. Yo, Heather, turn the water off, right? So no more baths for the rest of the time that we were living there. Uh, this part's kind of disgusting, but it is what it is. While we were there, we got bed bugs. I don't know if you've ever had bed bugs, but they're not the most fun things in the world. So we're there, and Heather's just like getting her arms torn up. Every morning she's waking up, she's got bites all over the place. I'm like, what are you doing in your free time? <laughs> I'm not getting any bites. I don't have anything going on. Every morning she's like, I think we got bed bugs. She's doing some research. I was like, there's no way we have bed bugs. Sure enough, she sends me a picture one day in the corner. Her mat under the mattress, there's just some bed bugs sitting there. See, what Heather doesn't know is that much like Abraham made a treaty with Abimelech, right? I'm sitting here with the bed bugs. They're like, you know her? I'm like, nah, she's my sister, dude. If y'all just leave me alone, y'all can, can have her. Take that one away, right? So we ended up sleeping in the guest bedroom for uh, three or four months or something. It, it was a wild time. First, first year of marriage, real fun experience um but we were there and we've been married for about eight months at this point heather walks in one morning 6 a.m right i'm you're not usually up at 6 a.m but she's crying tears just coming down the face she hands hands me the pregnancy test she's pregnant now we weren't planning on having kids we were actively trying not to have children right we wanted to wait a while we're broke i don't know anything about kids we've got no plan and she's just in tears. She's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So, you know, right, first year, husband, like, we got this. So I, I give her a hug. I say, hey, it's going to be okay. Like, we're going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. We'll get it figured out. You, you know, right, go to the doctor to make sure that you're actually pregnant. We'll get another test, all this stuff. So Heather goes off to work, and I shut the door behind her. I sit down. I just start crying. like an hour 
and I'm sick the rest of the day. We find out, yeah, she's really pregnant. And I was afraid. Now, mind you, I was working at a church. I've been walking with Jesus Christ since I was six years old. I've been to, I don't know, over 16-something countries sharing the gospel. I've been in villages. I've been in really sticky situations. There's a lot of times that I should have been afraid, right? We just powered through. And I've been walking for a long time. We're making disciples. We're doing all this stuff. It's awesome. And I'm sitting there, and in my mind, I'm saying, I hope that's not true. I hope she's not pregnant. And I've not told anybody this other than the first service. They obviously heard it. <laughs> but just so you know that the people that get up on this stage are not perfect by any means. We're broken just like everyone else in this room. We all have the same Savior. I remember thinking in my head, maybe she'll have a miscarriage. And I was so ashamed of that. I was afraid. And I chose fear to respond out of fear instead of faith. Fortunately, by God's plan of salvation, his mercies are made new. So that every time I look at her, I don't see my guilt. I don't see that decision. I see the faithfulness of God. So, next week, we're opening up chapter 21. Guess what? Isaac's born. Abraham has a son. The thing that they've been waiting on for this whole time, the promises of God are in this child, right? And every time Abraham looks at Isaac, guess what? He doesn't see all the, the mistakes. He doesn't see his past. What does he see? He sees the faithfulness of God. Thousands of years later, the father is going to send his son to take on human flesh to live the life that you and I couldn't live. And we get the story of him in Gethsemane. He's praying, God, please take this cup away from me if it's possible. So much so that he's sweating blood. He was afraid. But because he's God, he chose faith. He went to the cross and he died the death that you and I deserve. He was buried he raised three days later from the grave so that you and I could have life. And guess what? For those of us that are in this room that are in Christ, every time we open up this book, every time we look at the face of Jesus Christ, we see the faithfulness of God. And if you're in him, here's the really good news of the gospel. Every time he looks at you, he sees his son. So he sees his faithfulness. We have to remember the gospel. And third thing 
right? We have to respond to the gospel. So for a lot of us in this room, if you're following Jesus, I would just ask you to question, hey, what does fear look like in my life? What are the things that I'm not giving over to God? And it could be a number of things that we've already talked about, but I would really just take some time to think about that, right? Maybe it's just something as simple as not fearing the world or not, fear, not fearing right, something really serious like a sickness or the loss of a relative or, or whatever it may be. Maybe it's, you know, you're fearful to go on a mission trip. You're actually fearful to participate in the mission of God because what that might mean for you and your family. Maybe you're fearful to share the gospel with a coworker or a neighbor because what that might mean for you and your, your status. Right, so we need to respond to that this morning. If you're, if you're in here and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I would just say, hey, I know that you're afraid. Me too. I just put those fears on Jesus. And he's offering you the ability to come to him by faith, the trust that he is Lord and Savior, that God did do this work in him, that he did raise from the dead and confess that he's Lord and you can be saved too. It's not a magic pill. Fear doesn't go away. We just have the right way to handle it. So that's my invitation. The last point we're going to hit here is Christ provides the way to follow him faithfully and fruitfully in the face of fear. We can do this in faith, right? Paul, Philippians 121, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He writes that from a prison cell. He's saying, hey, guess what? I don't care what you do to me. You can tie me up. You can chain me. You can try to kill me. You can exile me. I don't care if I'm single. I don't care if I'm with someone. You can take my friends away, my food away, whatever it is. Because as long as I'm alive, you're getting Christ. And Paul says, if you want to, go ahead and kill me because that's gain. And the reason that he can say that is because he knows that the resurrection it's going to happen, right? For, for us in this room, man, if we're alive, let's live out Christ. And if they kill us, who cares? Because I get my Savior, right? God says, fear me and then fear not. I'll be down here if you want to come talk. If you just want to come pray, hey, you just got to get rid of some fears. Put them on Jesus, Right, come down here, feel free to pray. Um, if, you, if, if you want to follow Christ today, come talk to me about how to do that. You can talk to us afterward, find someone. Right, if today's a day of salvation, come talk to us. We would love to tell you more about that. Thank y'all so much. I love being here with y'all this morning. Um, I'll pray for us, the band will come up, we'll worship, and then we will get out of here. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for who you are, for what you've done for us in Christ. We thank you for the gift of salvation, we thank you that Christ did live the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve, and he rose again so that we could have life. God, I just pray for my church family here. I pray to be found faithful in the mission you've given us. I pray that we would act out of faith and not fear. And even in the times that we do, God, I pray that we would just turn that over to you and know that your grace is sufficient. We love you so much, and we're so, so thankful. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.